Welcome in to the Who Day Den, episode number one, one, one. Nearly two months now since uh, I, I last recorded, but we are back for today at least. We have a special guest we're going to get to very shortly, which if you read the title of the podcast, you probably have an idea of who that is. So not much of a surprise, but I do want to tease an announcement at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that after the interview, talking through some some giveaways. I'll be doing this offseason. Pretty excited for that. And of course, also need to address the, I guess, like the future, the current state of the podcast here. Um, taking taking off a couple months at a time isn't usually ideal for a podcast uh, trying to build a, a little following and talk about your favorite team to people that care about what you have to say. But life has changed a little bit for me over the last seven-ish months now. So uh, unfortunately, you know, my my son's health issues are kind of a, a daily battle. And so I, I'm not really at the point where I'm interested in getting to like lots of specifics in this space, I don't think. Uh, but each day is pretty un, unpredictable for us. So it, it just makes it pretty difficult to to plan things in advance, whereas usually you would plan episodes, whether I'm planning with Jake or planning with other guests or things like that. Um, so it's a lot of spur of the moment. If it's been a good day, evening, night, then maybe I potentially have time that evening to record. But it's like even on the good days, it's pretty mentally exhausting. So podcasting has uh, not sounded as fun as it used to anymore. I just don't quite have the energy for it at the end of most days. Um, so that's kind of the explanation behind the breaks in between episodes. Uh, I am not shutting down the podcast by any means, but um, just to give everybody here a heads up of what's been going on. Um, hopefully we get to a point where it's a bit more consistent especially as the season draws draws nigh. I know in season last year I was doing, let's say, recaps of games and then previews for the upcoming game. So about two, two a week or so. Uh, obviously, usually had guests on for those. Those get a little bit harder to plan if, you know, things are unpredictable here in the household. So we'll see what the next few months look like and, and whatnot. So, um Hoping to get to to be more consistent, but unfortunately not not something I can really guarantee by any means. But hopefully you keep the Who Day Den in your rotation uh, of Bengals podcasts and turn your notifications on for new episodes, either on Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. That way, when we do have new episodes like today, uh, you you won't miss those. But um, I'll keep everybody updated if if. Uh, I guess my availability changes, but for right now, my availability on these and my my consistency is going to be pretty up in the air week to week. But um, so, anyways, back to football. Uh, it's been it's been so long. I, I don't think I'm going to really attempt to get, to get caught up on everything that's been discussed and all the happenings in Bengals land over the last couple of months. I'd have to honestly, I'd have to go back and and see all the stuff um, that that we've missed. I guess you could say discussing here, but by now you've you know probably seen much of it discussed either on, on other podcasts or social media or whatever a um, little late to discuss those things months and months later but i want to turn attention to today's interview as uh, as i mentioned pretty excited about this and some pretty interesting nuggets today as well to discuss Today, we welcome in Paul Daner, Jr., Bengals beat writer for The Athletic, uh, joined us last summer, gracious enough to join us again this summer. Thank you for your time. I have to ask, before we kick everything off with Bengals conversation, how your offseason's going, including, I think I have seen an Ellie De La Cruz tweet or two. Oh. Uh, are you enjoying Ellie Mania? Uh, yeah, I was lucky enough. So, you know, I had a I had a little getaway plan. My dad turned seventy this year, so we decided, we did a uh, a golf trip to French Lick, um, which is awesome, and I highly recommend anybody that wants to do a splurge trip for a big event. But on the way, we were like, let's go down to Louisville. Their team was so hot, and they had Ellie still down there. Um, Encarnacion Strand, Andrew Abbott was actually the starting pitcher the night we went. And we're like, let's take in a game. And it's great. Minor leagues is just incredible because it, it's like we sat two rows behind the net in this like scout seats for 10 bucks. 
you know <laughs> can't beat it you, you couldn't beat it and and we're seeing you know one of the great shows um in baseball right before he got called up and it happened to be the night that he hit a 450 foot walk-off bomb in the ninth and i happened to be rolling on it <laughs> and i had i had texted uh, our reds writer trent uh c trent rosecrans and said hey i'm at i'm at this louisville game tonight if anything really cool happens i'll let you know because he usually switches back between a number of different things and uh, i was like uh, something cool happened and I sent him the video <laughs> and it was like maybe one of maybe his biggest night in, uh, in my, in the minors. So it was, uh, I was certainly hooked upon my first viewing and hard not to be since, um, yeah, I'm, I'm taken, I'm more than taken by this team and, and Ellie de la Cruz. It's incredible. It's really nice to have that distraction because over the last few summers, that gap between, probably like NFL draft in April until training camp has been absolutely brutal. And we got a yeah. rough start for the Reds, but uh, ever since we've gotten some exciting young guys up, at least it's been a welcome distraction. Even for those that like, aren't even those that aren't the biggest diehard Reds fans, like this is the perfect team for jumping on a bandwagon and just seeing like, Oh wow, like this guy's doing things I've never seen done on a baseball diamond before. <laughs> it's fun. It's like, they're yeah. exciting. And it's like, even when they've been good in the past, they haven't been like this where they are just, there's real star mm -hmm. power and playing the game in a, in a way. God, Cincinnatians just, we love hustle. We invented <laughs> hustle, right? We That's love right. hustle. We love stolen bases. We love, you know, we love sort of clearly swag has become part of the new Cincinnati sports fan uh with the burrow chase thing sort of rubbing off i think on everybody and how they view that so it's uh yeah i think they're they're the perfect team and the reds couldn't have needed it more considering where things were at before this i'm i i love the reds i always have as far as just i love the way they filled the summer and going to the ballpark and all that stuff that was never gone away but now that having them as the soundtrack mm -hmm. of the summer like is always where you want to turn them on every night is just the best. And uh, I've missed that over the last two and a half rebuilds. So yeah, it could be, <laughs> it could make for a, a pretty interesting fall time when you have no potentially a major league baseball contender contending team in the reds and the, the Bengals starting up at the same time, which we know the excitement around Cincinnati Bengals. So I uh, I'm looking forward to that even as yeah. like, I was a huge baseball fan growing up and then fell off the bandwagon and really focused on football the last decade, it seems like. And this team uh, has done something that I didn't think they'd be able to do. And that's like really pulled me back in um, to baseball and, and whatever else. But uh, we're here, obviously, to talk about the Bengals. Uh, and, and I want to start with this. You know, had we recorded last week, I probably would have had a whole segment about Corey Dillon. But, you know, that has been <laughs> that has been talked about. And and you brought uh, quite the content to you. You provided so much content for podcasters, radio. I mean, I'm uh, here for everybody in the dead time. What can I say? Yeah. So we still have like, yeah, this is a dead time. I guess we still have a couple weeks of dead time. So if you yeah. want to pull any other, uh, you know, um, inflammatory I, comments so in from it's people. Funny. It's funny you bring that up because I, I have been, I, I mentioned it in the story. I wasn't reaching out to Corey to talk to Corey about what thing he had that to get off his chest and that was fine and I've talked to a lot of former players for this other story I'm working on and so anytime they say anything now that even halfway resembles a negative comment like hey stop I stop <laughs> right there I do not will need this again we do not need to go I'm not going to be the guy that brings out everybody's airing of the grievances of the week like I just don't I'm not here for any of that I don't want to be that guy so it's like I'm uh, I'm sort of and so many people that are that are former Bengals that I've been reaching out to all saw what happened. And so I tell them at the beginning, I'm not I don't want this. Well, I, I like that you like when you put out I don't know if it was the first uh, the first tweet you put out um, showcasing that interview might have been. But at least one of them that you put out showcasing, you put like um, his quote about like, you can put this on the record or whatever. And I was like, yes. I think you did that. So it's like, cause you've got that relationship where you're going to be trying to interview, like you said, other former players and you, you have to make sure they know you did not print this. I wanted to make Corey. it clear that this was not a gotcha. <laughs> this was not me seeking negativity. This like, I, I just, that was the one thing. And honestly, like to go behind the curtain on it. I mean, I, I really struggled with whether to run it or not, mm -hmm. because not that, it wasn't news. It clearly was news and he clearly wanted it to be news and he wanted to make waves to have his case talked about, which I think he uh, kind of accomplished that. Well, people um, were talking. 
But, you know, I, I just felt like, man, I almost feel like I need to save Corey from himself here. Like, this is so over the top. I knew the reaction it would have, specifically regards to the Ring of Honor thing that he was so mad about and that it would only create, you know, more resentment from the fans that had to vote him in. Um, and I, I mean, I talked with friends, I talked with my editors and multiple bosses about like, what do we think? How could we do it? Should I craft it as more of just make, just make it a story about his case and put his quotes in there. And I just, at the end of the day, kept saying he told me what he wanted <laughs> exactly he said i want you to print it all word for freaking word and I, I needed to just let that be what it was and so i, I eventually went that way but i didn't <laughs> i didn't want that i didn't seek that and i certainly didn't want some of the blowback that Corey has gotten for it but i think uh that's just him kind of being who he is and who he wants to be and because i you know I'm a Corey guy as far as I, I really believe in his Hall of Fame case. Mm. I, I think it's stronger than his Ring of Honor case um, because that New England championship season is so strong and should hold so much weight mm -hmm. with pro football Hall of Fame voters on top of what he already had. Um, that I'm a real proponent of him there. And I just I, – I, ho I hope this doesn't um, – detract from any faint hope he maybe still had in that regard. He probably doesn't have any because he still hasn't been in the conversation, but maybe this will put him in the conversation and maybe he'll get his wish a little bit off of it. Yes. I'm just here for the speech. <laughs> I'm, I'm just here. Corey Dillon would give the first pro football hall of fame speech where he doesn't thank a person. He just rips on everybody that ever <laughs> said he couldn't do it. And I'm here for that. Yeah, that would uh, create some more content, um, mm -hmm. which is what we're all about here. Can't get enough. I want to start with another recent clip uh, from the the quarterback documentary, and I don't think it's as uh, as inflammatory by any means. Of course, if you see any Bengals fans on social media, they can make anything personal uh, and rip into <laughs> other players and fan bases for days on end. Yeah. But the, the clip of Mahomes saying that really he wanted to play the Bengals in the playoffs because he hadn't beat them. We also have the little. Uh, Jamar, Pat, who comments earlier this offseason. Uh, we know the two fan bases go after it on social media. In your opinion, is Chiefs Bengals the the best rivalry in the NFL? And then kind of a, a follow up on that, whether whether you think it is or not. Do you think the 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 current Bengals Chiefs rivalry I'm going to use the word rival. Does it what rivalry does it rival recently yeah. for the Bengals? I was like, I was thinking like mid 2010 Steelers. Is it a more recent one? Because it's it's definitely developing into some fun, fun feuding on the you know with the players, not just the fan bases. It's different than any the Bengals have ever had because mm -hmm. in their most intense rivalries, they've really they've not often been the victors. I mean, the Steelers is their most notable and they were in, it was a product of this little brother syndrome, right? I mean, yeah. that was so much a part of the desire to beat them and the, and the results proved that. Um, and they've never had one that's so high profile out of their division before. And one that is, you know, I mean, they've had intense games, consistently intense games and, teams that they didn't necessarily like or had incidents with or whatever. But I mean, for it to be, you know, one that the whole league looks at and says, this is not just the best rivalry. These are the two best teams for a long time. You start talking in historical context about things like Brady Manning yeah. and Niners Cowboys from my era in the nineties. And like, Things you start going down that way when you when you start thinking about what this currently is and maybe could become and there's just there's been nothing like it. I would I would like to go and see what rivalry it compares to. It's the best one since, rather than just clearly the best one in the NFL right now. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it, it's one of the best ones we've seen in a while because when you have teams that are going to consistently play each other. Um, in the biggest games every year and and you now have the back and forth feud of some very outgoing bombastic stars yeah. that aren't afraid uh that that relish it 
right? And that's what I took of the Mahomes comment that I loved. I I loved it. I think mm-hmm. it's first of all, he said what we all thought. Yeah. Like everybody wanted to see that again, including Chiefs fans. Um, they wanted to play the best. And that's what you love about this. That's what you love about Pat Who and Burrow saying Mahomes is the best and we'll settle on the field. These teams, these stars love this. They love talking and having to go back it up and having all that on the line. And and that's part of what makes it great is, is that you have – it's not talking for the sake of talk. It's It's – talking because they believe they're the best and they have a whole lot of reasons to to believe that they are and and it's fun for everyone like i don't people get all mad there's always people getting mad about it well, why are you mad about this this is fantastic <laughs> like you, you shouldn't be yelling at each other about this you guys should be so excited that you guys have this distaste for each other because it makes it incredible and to add that into the mix with uh all the other division rivals that you already have. It's, it's a special time. Not that we need to say that again uh, to be a Bengals fan, but it really is in terms of, in terms of the rivalries that have grown up along with the Bengals profile. I thought, I think two things you mentioned there that I think is worth reiterating is like one, you've got the stars talking like Mm -hmm. Eli, Eli Apple, no disrespect to Eli Apple, but him trash talking is a little bit different. Justin having, right. We, some of the stuff that happened during the, I I had to chronicle the year in disrespect (laughs) this year, by I think it was at some time in January, I wrote that story. And I, so I did go back through all of them. And so often it was like some throwaway comment by some, you know, supporting cast figure and it's like it's just different when it's pat and jamar and kelsey and burrow uh going back and forth because it's you know it's it's the front of the it's the front of the line talking yeah and and we have i think those built-in rivalries with your division foes and it's like those are a little bit different you play them twice a year and you build up those those rivalries and um those aren't always meaningful games, though, for either or both teams, whereas you now have an opponent where, uh, you know, those are going to be meaningful. <laughs> Pretty mm-hmm. much every time we play the Chiefs is going to be meaningful, especially in the playoffs as well. And and I just, you know, as much as disdain as the fan base has for the Chiefs, uh, I will devote another talking point to them because I think you have to take a step back take your uh, your fandom hat off a little bit and recognize that they've obviously built something special there over the last half decade or whatever helps to have a transcendent quarterback helps to have a good head coach. We know we have Joe Burrow and uh, I will throw Zach Taylor into the good coach uh, category, which three years ago to Thank me you. would have felt just blasphemous because sure. I was not the biggest Zach Taylor fan as many were not, but <laughs> winning changes everything. Um, yeah. But we know that we have, the extensions for key guys looming. Uh, we saw a high caliber player in Jesse Bates leave via free agency. There's big decisions forthcoming with T Higgins and you've got, you know, quote unquote aging leaders on the team, not just mm-hmm. contributors, but leaders with Mixon yeah. and Boyd and decisions to make there. I, generally, what type of blueprint do you expect to see the Bengals do? Is it anything similar that KC has done? That's been able to say, Hey, there's been changing in personnel, but, we still have our Super Bowl window wide open. Is there anything you see Kansas City doing or have done that we can reapply? Or do you kind of think the Bengals go kind of pave their own path in that way? I'm going to say this, um, not for the reason that you might be thinking because of the position, but when they let Tyreek Hill go and, you know, just recalibrated and got better and won the Super Bowl, um, I think you're going to see that in not in that they're going to let T Higgins go or Jamar Chase go in that there's got to be a willingness to let some beloved players go if it just doesn't work out with the math Um, and understand that it's easy to it's you can recalibrate that and to and and not be scared of that the longer you spend trying to put the band back together the the less you have a chance at sustainability that's just the nature of having an expensive quarterback um and i think they've done a good job of recognizing that here um at this group with duke tobin and zach taylor um in the way that they've built that i think they have expressed and shown a willingness to move on from really good players from leaders from guys that are at the core of the culture 
CJ Uzama, Von Bell, like not overextending for Hayden Hurst and understanding that there's other ways to allocate that money and be dedicated to staying young and, 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 and know that if you get value out of every player you bring in and you stay young and have the quarterback, mm -hmm. um, your team will be good enough for Burrow to get you a title every year. Will that happen? N no. And, and, but you can keep yourself in the mix so that one year it does all come together. That's what the best teams have done. The chiefs have shown that they weren't afraid to just turn over their entire defense and go young. And it, took some growing pains as part of that um, big ones and let Tyreek Hill go. Um, New England famously builds sustainability with Brady and a willingness to move on from aging stars and understand that those guys, Vince Wilfork and Richard Seymour. And I mean, there's a million cases yeah. of, of guys who they got rid of one year before they got old and got something for them and, and kept their team young kept reinventing itself as long as you have the quarterback. So to me, that's the sustainability that I think we've seen from them. And I think you're going to continue to see from them even more so um, going forward, because if they try to say, let's keep this 21, 22 group together forever, that's what will kill them. Mm -hmm. It's, it's gotta be saying, look, everyone loved Von Bell or next year, everyone loves DJ Reader, or everyone loves all of these guys um, who are going to be 29, 30, and 31, but paying guys that are, you're not going to get what you're paying for at that level. Take that money, reallocate it to players who are 26, 27, look at the success they've had in free agency, um, and bank on that. I think this organization has been scared to death of that in the, before this group came along because they didn't want to be involved in free agency. They'd had big fails in free agency. They were scared of free agency. And now I think there's a willingness to go into it and say, you know what, let's be comfortable in our evaluation and ability to get Orlando Brown. Mm -hmm. Let's be comfortable in, in signing DJ reader in signing Mike Hilton and Chidibo Wuzie and know that those things can replicate themselves. Um, I thought this was a huge off season for that. This was a real, big one you know to sit there and say we're just not gonna try to keep the band together with Vaughn and Hayden and Samaje and whatever and be willing to to counter by going to somebody like Orlando Brown with that money is a big sign of I think of what they're gonna be going forward in trying to have a sustainable quality team and um it's going to be really tested next year with all the big names that are coming up yeah. with these, that with these, uh, you know, looking for third contracts. But I think, I think we know probably where it's going to go. It's uncomfortable and it makes people sad and you got to say goodbye, but then you say hello to yep. new players yep. and, uh, and you get, you fall in love with them quickly as the reds are proving, right? Yep. Like it's the same concept in football. You just got You got to keep it moving. It's tough biz. Uh, but you got to keep it moving and, and you'll fall in love with the next guy three games into the next year. I'm, I'm fascinated and I don't, I don't want to move. Well, they don't care whether I do this or not, but I don't want to move the front or the goalpost on, on the front office. But I had said, Oh geez, I guess it was probably last. It would have been early in the season, maybe last off season. I don't remember we, we, the Kevin Huber conversation. And I was just like, I just, you know, the, the front office has earned our trust with this and with this and with this, but I just, that would that would go a long way for me if they're willing to move on from a I don't know if you would, could call him a fan favorite obviously not on the level of some of these other guys but a homegrown guy the longest tenured dude on the team like mm -hmm. if they're willing to say sorry you've lost your job that's going to go a long way and it happened uh, to varying degrees of success or not but it happened and I was like wow that's impressive but at the same time that's a punter and yeah. it's like will you do that to Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon who play more uh, front facing positions that the fans, you know, are, are uh, rooting for more, more heavily and, and having more of a contribution to the team. And that's fascinating to me. And I think you're right. It's going to yield potentially some, uh, some uncomfortable conversations. And um, 
I think T Higgins is also like interesting too. like could yield uncomfortable conversations if he doesn't get the extension and it sure kind of turns into the Jesse Bates situation. I mean, fans were turning on Jesse Bates a little bit um, as that, as that saga wore on and it's like saga. Uh, if, yeah. if that continues with, with T Higgins, are we going to see that? Cause right now T Higgins is a fan favorite fan so. favorite. And at this point in, you know, when you look at the parallels there, they've been just overwhelming the parallels between Bates and Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and at this point in the Bates process, process, he was still best safety in the league and got to sign him. And they'll and this is a no brainer, right? Like because the, this was pre franchise tag, pre the first time the talks broke down, mm-hmm. pre the first time everyone got obsessed about him. You know, uh, you know, getting crazy about guarantees and ripping the team on the team website, and like we were before <laughs> all of that. We were before all of that in where yep. T is at right now. So. We we have in so many things haven't quite gotten there yet, and maybe this one will be different. Uh, but there, you know, the the narrative uh, can can change quickly um, with 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 all parties involved. I never would have thought that the Bates thing would have gone the way that it did end up going, but. You know, Jesse would sit there and say, uh, I handled my business because <laughs> yeah, worked uh, out for him. got my bag now. And uh, and that's what this was always all about for these guys. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them. Like, absolutely not. They never have leverage. And anytime you can find some, even a even an iota of it, you have to exploit it because you better believe the team would exploit it on you if they had it. So guys like T and guys like Jesse um, that are going to use it right now wherever they can. Um, and T doesn't have a ton of it. Uh, you, you've got to try, you got to try to find a way. And, um, and so I, yeah, it's really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how all this business plays out over the next month and a half. There is a a guy on the other side of the ball, uh, that you have mentioned recently in a a few different pieces that you, that you've put up on the athletic and Daxton Hill. Yeah. Um, I want to, to talk or have you talk a little bit about what you think fans can realistically expect from him this year, because I think in in my mind, hoping for a one-to-one Jesse replacement seems like a a big ask because at his best, Jesse was a a second team all pro, I believe. Um, Maybe it's 13, but somewhere in there, he was one of the top safeties in the league. Um, And and Dax flashed in the preseason last year, also had some brain lapses in season, but that was more, you know, special team stuff. Like I, I think that as a, as a fan, I feel uh, maybe maybe not less optimistic, but more nervous about what to expect from him. Do you think that uh, that that Dax is ready to step into that role uh, in this revamped safety room? Very much so. I, I think I think Dax was put through a lot last year, and he didn't do a great job of hiding it with us. I don't think it came across as much publicly because he wasn't in the conversation a lot. He was in the background. He was forced a couple of times to play roles, um, you know, on the field that were not what he is best suited to do. And those didn't always go great because he was just really put in some really tough spots. And all I know, I, I, I view it through last preseason lens was he looked like, a guy who didn't belong on the field with everybody else. Cause he was so much better than them. Mm-hmm. And, and he should have, because there's a lot of backups out there, but I mean, it was apparent he was really good and he had a lot of momentum coming out of preseason and that was sapped when he didn't play. And then he had to learn all these different positions and every, and he was frustrated by that. Like he, he, he didn't feel like he was really, getting a chance to show himself. And, and so I I think he looks now at, I think there's a real confidence and now I can do what I want to do. And he's got a year of the league under his belt. And so I think when, when you talk about that, you're talking about a guy that's ready to go do it. And, um, and I think he'll, I think he's going to take off. This could be like a whole different conversation. We don't necessarily have to get into is, is the Nick Scott Jordan battle uh, battle. I had to, had to use that uh, play yeah. on words. I'm sure it'll be used a lot, uh, but you've got that. And I think it's interesting. And in one sense, I think Jordan battle is probably more ready than most rookies to make an impact um, based on his, uh, his 
pedigree that he's had from Alabama and underneath uh, Saban and whatnot. But also you've got those. I, I just keep thinking back to those comments from Anna Rumo about uh, playing defenders early in their career. Um, I think he's mostly talking about like cornerback rotation stuff. But I'm like, does it apply to Jordan Battle? I don't know. Um, so however that plays out, whether it's whether it's Nick Scott, whether it's Jordan Battle, what what do you think? this is going to be hard to quantify from the safety position, but like what percentage of production do you think we get out of the, the Dax slash Scott combo compared to the say Jesse Vaughn combo from last year? Do you think there's any, any drop off in, in production or is it no ne- negligible noticeable? Well, I'm glad you asked. I, I mean, I literally just got done answering this question in my mailbag and there did you a bunch of research on it. Um, so let me pull it up here. So I was just pulling up. Uh, so it's it's not that statement I made. I embedded that tweet uh, that you just referenced because he was talking about Dax Hill. And he mm-hmm. was saying that kid will play when I decide he's ready to play. And, and Luan Arumo, he, he, his system requires guys that have a real awareness of what's going on. and And he doesn't like rookies out there. So there have been since he's been a coordinator started being coordinator in 2019 across the league 107 rookies rookie defenders that have played at least 500 snaps in a season Luan Arumo has one of those that's Cam Taylor Britt last year who was really kind of forced on him yep I mean I don't think he wanted to do that I think he was pretty open that he wasn't super interested in the concept of having to deal with the growing pains of Cam Taylor Britt but he did I wonder how much that the success that ended up being rubbed off on Lou and maybe changed his vision of that and he did come around a little bit now last year he had Cam at seven this includes playoffs 761 Zach Carter had 444. That was partially due to the reader injury. And I count Osai in that mix at, at 398. And those were three of the four biggest he's ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's And the, the Hill conversation last year is kind of uh, a verbalization of that philosophy. He's just, he's just not as interested in playing young guys that don't know what the NFL is all about and what it entails. And so um, I, I view that as like, I think you're going to, He's got these three prominent rookies. How big will he be willing to make their role when he's not always super interested in making big roles? I think, you know, Murphy looks primed to be in that 300 to 450 snap range that he likes to put a lot of rookies in that is rotational, that is not too much too soon, that can grow if you build trust. But um, he, he, I, I have a hard time seeing, even as much as we've heard about Jordan Battle's intelligence and awareness, seeing him being like, yeah, put him in there um, as a starter. Let's create a exp- expanded role for him or or any of that stuff with any of these rookie guys. DJ Turner can be in that mix too. Um, I just think he's going to kind of be who he has been, which is somebody who's always going to be wanting to take it easy with rookies in year one. Killer segue into rookie talk. Um, yeah. The draft three months now ish in our rearview mirror, uh, but I, I think most fan bases will probably say the same thing. I don't know because I'm only a fan of one team, but I would say most fan bases like generally enjoy their rookie uh, draft classes for the most part in the summertime uh, until they see them on the field. The mm-hmm. optimism runs high. But I will say like I do love our rookie class. There was a couple picks at the time they were being made where you're just like, "Eh, why I need to look into this a little bit more, but you know, the more I've gotten to know them and understand what their role might be. uh, I'm pretty excited about this class that we have. And and you mentioned miles Murphy probably used as a rotational pass rusher guy. DJ Turner may have a role, uh, especially depending on how quickly Cheeto is ready to go, but it seems like he'll be sooner rather than later. Um, We mentioned battle, whatever Two of the guys I want to talk about, though, uh, offensive players, Chase Brown and Charlie Jones, because the Bengals have the 130 plus vacated running back touches with P. Ryan gone now. Uh, I I personally am still skeptical that all of a sudden uh, Travion Williams just steps right into that role. Um, Maybe he does. They've said great things about Travion Williams, but uh, I, I could be wrong there. You've got you know, the estimated 30, 40 targets may be available for Charlie Jones as it currently stands as a wide receiver for uh, opportunity could grow. We saw, you know, Trent Irwin get a little bit more run last year when injuries crept up to some of our big three guys. Uh, which of those two guys, because they're, they're two that I'm excited about, Chase Brown, Charlie Jones, do you think the Bengals fans see more production from this season uh, but between those two? 
uh, Chase Brown. It's not even close. I mean, I, Charlie Jones is a 2024 pick and mm-hmm. who, who is here as an insurance policy um, in the background. I think they think he has versatility to play inside and out, but let's be honest. I mean, I think he's kind of viewed as, as the heir apparent to Tyler Boyd mm-hmm. uh, when he leaves after this year, assuming he leaves after this year. Um, and, and so I think that that's putting that in play, but for now he's a background guy. He can be a returner. You wanted somebody with some return juice. Um, you know, he would unseat Trent Taylor, I think, assuming it doesn't go terribly um, for, for Charlie Jones in the preseason. Um, but I think that's his role. He's in the background barring injury. Chase Brown, I think is good there. They want, I, I could see him in the mix very quickly. Um, it, it, it's, I just think that they want to get him involved. They're, you're going to see him probably run pretty well in the preseason. That's going to bring excitement. You're going to you're going to have a small role that you can maybe see how he does early on. And and if that goes really well, we've just seen too many good rookie running backs, no matter where they've been drafted, explode onto the scene quickly to say with to say anything other than that there's a real chance that Chase Brown could become the guy quickly here too. Not to put um, words in your mouth, so, does that mean you're a little bit lower on Travion Williams then or are skeptical that he takes this Yeah, I think as- Travion has has, you know, he hasn't had a ton of opportunity. The opportunity he did have last year did open eyes. I mean, we saw him unseat yeah. Chris Evans and and I think that they're willing to give him a chance. I think I get the sense that they think he could potentially grow into the P Ryan role. Um, but again, there's, you get, depends on how he does as a blocker, how his hands develop, but I think they liked a lot of what they saw from him as far as his growth last year. And they think there's a chance for that. Um, I don't think that's not as, I don't see that being where Chase Brown would end up. It's not, he is a mix in more of a mixing clone than he is a Pirine clone. And so for that fact, that's where I think his touches would come, but um, it, it's an interesting one. The third down running back definitely sits out there, but I, you know, I, I think we see Chase Brown uh, have a, a really big impact this year. Whether it takes two games, whether it takes four games, whether it takes eight games, I don't know. But I, I do think by the time we get in December and January, I think he's a, he's a big time player for them. Uh, I, I have quick hitters here for the end of our of our All episode right. here. Um, so these don't have That's, to be. It's on me to be quick. I'm not. No, good no, at you being can. Quick. You, no, no, no. This, this not in my this, strong suit. It's like this, uh, it's you, like gives you asking the Chase Brown to block on third down. It's just not something that you see me do a lot. <laughs> this gives you the flexibility. You can be as short as you want, or if you want to expand, that's fine too. This time last year, uh, when you joined the pod, we were talking like left guard battle and Volson yeah. versus Carmen. Um, and I went back to listen to that uh, a couple of days ago. Cause I was like, I remember you how talking- wrong was I, how wrong did no, I sound? No, you were, it was funny because you basically <laughs> were like, you've got two different guys at left guard. You've got the guy with all the physical traits and Carmen, you got the guy who's like lunch pail, work hard, and you hope one runs rubs off on the other and yeah. Carmen's traits are not going to rub off on Volson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, which is true. That's not yeah. untrue. Um, um, it just maybe didn't play out the way the Bengals would have hoped it would have played out. And like, we still have offensive line conversation. I don't know if I'll say dominating uh, the conversation right now, but like right tackle is a focus point. And, um, you know, we could do again, another 30 minute segment talking about offensive line, but I'm going to throw it into the quick hitters because most of these, I think I file under the uh, like it wouldn't be a Bengals podcast without discussing these, but I'm tired of like hearing about most of them, but mm-hmm. we need to put them in there. So they will be quick hitters. Uh, right. You don't have to expand because you've been doing some rounds lately. You've been uh, out there on uh, since I Bengals talk recently. Yeah. Uh, Mo Ager, I knew you guys were talking about the Corey Dillon. So you've you've I touched know. on a I'm, lot. Of I'm these in things. this podcast break here and I've got to <laughs> fill. I've got to fill fill my uh, scratch my itch. So we'll start with the offensive tackle then percentage chance you give Jackson Carmen to win the right tackle job. And then percentage chance you give Jonah to win the right tackle job. Um, Oh man, I actually did this. uh, And and I'm trying to remember what my numbers were. I think I have Jonah in the like seventies and Jackson in the 20 around 20, probably with like a random Lael Collins miracle somewhere in the, in the singles. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just, it's Jonah's like, it's Jonah's job and they believe he should be able to transfer over to right tackle without much issue. And I, I 
because Carmen's trying to play a position he hasn't played either. People act like Carmen's been a right tackle as well. He's not. He hasn't played right tackle in the league. Like I mean, we haven't seen him do that. So um, I think they believe that Jonah can do it, and it would take a pretty big failure uh, on his part for it to not happen. Um, I don't, and I don't anticipate that. But yeah, so I, I think I think it's definitely starting out with with Jonah's to lose. I think things would have to go pretty sideways for him. Another player you have to talk about on Bengals podcast these days, Joe Mixon. The cap number that Joe Mixon plays under four in 2023 is? Uh, well, let's see. If they cut him, it's a dead of five and a half, <laughs> uh, depending on how they split it up, uh, if they if they split it over two years or one. Um, I'll, I'll say the cap number is, is just that. I'll say it's five and a half. He may... They that may be what they restructure it to. Maybe mm-hmm. they restructure it down to one year, five and a half. Um, I can only say it's not twelve point eight. <laughs> I say that much, uh, but they can. <laughs> I don't know where it ends up, but I would say if I had to, if you had to put me on the spot, I say the fact that he could be cut and they could just restructure it into that range. Uh, I would say probably somewhere in the five to six range uh, would would make sense for me. I'm breaking my own rules here on a on, well, there are no rules for quick hitters, you know. We make our own here, <laughs> but I, I find that interesting. The comment you made, like if if big if asterisk bold whatever, if he were to be cut, when do you think is the time the Bengals would make that decision? Because we know, like we've seen in the past from the Dalton and uh, era and some other recent prominent players that have been cut, like when do you anticipate that happening? If, if it were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's something that it's whenever those conversations come to a head and we're in a bit of an unprecedented situation. It just with the Burrow domino still hanging out there, it just it, it leaves everything in limbo. I think it's something that would have happened a long time ago if this were a more of a normal um, financial offseason. It's mm-hmm. just not. And so the fact that that hangs over everything, it just leaves every other number ready to adjust. Um, I, I, those conversations I think have been broached. I think everyone's aware that it's going to have to come to a head. Um, but I, there's bigger fish to fry first and then they can go down the line. So I, but cut down day. I mean, that's, I mean, that's to me, the deadline of it is cut down day or the, the Tuesday, the Tuesday before the season starts when all the money, all the money vests uh, for the year is is certainly deadlines to that you would be keeping an eye on. So I um, I, I have this theory that that the borough deal is going to happen, and we're going to get about seven major financial <laughs> transactions in the week after it. It's going to be like Burrow on Monday, Higgins on Wednesday, Wilson on Thursday, Mixon and Collins on Friday and Monday. Like it's, I just feel like you're going to see it all kind of go down the line i think they're they've got it set up but you just gotta kind of um go in order perfect segue again you're really good at this uh prediction <laughs> on the date joe burrow's deal gets signed we know there are other uh you know potentially justin herbert is a domino but yeah as you're just guessing what is your guess on a date that joe burrow's deal gets signed let's see uh how about mock turtle soup july 25th <laughs> July twenty fifth. There July it is. July twenty fifth would be would be if I was putting if like if you were if you were doing a Vegas handicap and you really had to do it of the like you know you see the what what are the the best odds on the exact win total for the Bengals this year you had to go down the line my top one would be July twenty fifth. Uh, just right. it's right before the season starts. Mock turtle soup day. We'll make uh, sure everyone has their notifications on for July twenty fifth. Yeah, yeah, but I think. You know, you're on you're on call for it here. Uh, not that we haven't been, but as mm-hmm. as camp gets really close, um, you're really on call for that because I just think that I think all sides would like to have this thing in the can when Burrow walks out to that first practice on that Wednesday, the the 26th. Um, would like to have this business in the past and focus on the season. It doesn't always go that way. Um, it it can. Heck, it can go all the way up to the season. I remember it vividly. AJ Green signing his contract on the way to the bus to go to Oakland in 2015, um, like for the opener. So it can go to the end. It it, it can. Um, I just think with everything that holds in the balance with this, um, that's where I'd put it right now. And you alluded to this too. Over under two and a half extensions signed between now and Week One. Yeah. Uh, you know, sounds like that, you're taking the over. Well, yeah, 
I think I do think Wilson gets done, and I think Burrow gets done. The T question is like the ultimate, right? The ultimate offseason question that has been I've had to reiterate and write about in different forms a million times and wait yep. for Dove Kleinman to <laughs> bastardize and shove out there. With and random so, quotations around yeah, different yeah, words. Totally. <laughs> like I've report I mean, it's just, you know, that was fun. That was a fun time. Uh so it's like it's just that it is. It's it's the question surrounding them if they can if they can do that. So that's the the two and a half. I I think I had the percentage today at 55%. I say that they did it. So uh, I guess I'm saying over. I guess I'm saying hit the over. I say all three get done. All right. There's a true false. Corey Dillon gets into the Bengals ring of honor in the next three years. Three years? Yeah, three years. true. He'll get in. He'll, in the next three, he won't get in this time. Uh, I, th- I think they're, I think next year is a very real possibility. And then the year after that, I, he, he should. He should. I don't know what happened to fan sentiment with this. I think he's trying to do damage control a little right now. Um, a year will have passed. So I'll I'll say he gets in. He should. Time heals all wounds. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, next last question. The training camp slash preseason darling or darlings that shine. Uh, this this could be. I could, I'll spur things along here for you. This could be an expected talent. We saw Dax last year. Or it could be a legend like Kendrick Pryor who lit things up last Ooh, year. Oh, man. Yeah, the, the, the Kendrick Pryor, Kwame Lasser. It's always the receiver. I, we, yeah. Mo and I have talked about this. It's going to be Yoshi, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, he is. Honestly, that was my answer. And I think he is. He has impressed in that he's not as raw of a prospect as I think they anticipated him being. He is a freak athlete. Um, I think he's going to make some plays that make people talk just because of um, his athleticism. He's a smart kid. Um, fits the mold of the type of player that will be the out there a lot. <laughs> round. Yeah, I mean, he'll be out there. He'll play He'll play a ton of snaps in the preseason. Yep. Ton. And so, because they're going to want to get him all the reps they can. Uh, for all those reasons, I'll say Yoshivash. I, I think uh, he ends up being the guy. All right, last one. Bengals beat writers all get a shot at the Bengals locker room ping pong table who emerges as the champion. Wow. So when I was a kid, my dad is a pretty serious ping pong guy. And oh, yeah. we had the table with the robot attached. I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's a, I have not. So it's a big, it's like a big open thing that you hit into. That and then all the pa- all the balls run down into a middle, and then the robot comes out, shoots it at you, sort of like you do would do in tennis if you're playing okay. by yourself. Had one of these in my basement. Now my dad hogged it because he was trying to get his game on. <laughs> but let's just say I've played a lot of significant ping pong in my life. I don't know that I would win because it's been a while, and no one cares more about it than Charlie Goldsmith. Mm. Uh, mm. My guy Charlie is as invested in the ping pong hierarchy and conversation about it as anybody. So I'd probably say him, uh, but I'd like a shot at it. I'll have to have Charlie on and uh, see, see if he uh, views it the same way or not. Recommend uh, that. Yeah. He'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll have many thoughts on it. I can only guarantee you that much love Charlie. And he will talk to you about the ping pong stage. Uh, thank you, Paul, for uh, for joining and touching on a number of topics, uh, being flexible, making this time work. Always, always great talking to you. Yeah, man. Anytime. You can find Paul out on Twitter at Paul Daner Jr. Uh, his written work, obviously, out on the athletic website. I know his, his podcast uh, format is changing a little bit here. That podcast growling is the one that uh, he and Jay have done for quite some time. Um, I know things are a little up in the air with that right now, but Sounds like he will be getting some some details out. Probably, I'm sure he will announce it via Twitter once everything's finalized there for for his uh, podcast revamp, if you want to call it that. I don't know what you want to call it. Re something, re birth, re I don't know when it, his podcast comes back. Um, but Paul does a great job uh, covering the the Cincinnati Bengals, and honestly, you know, I don't really expect Paul's going to listen back to this episode. Um, Maybe you will if you do. Hey, Paul, thanks for listening this long. Uh, but I mean, just a, a really stand up guy, um, just taking the time to, to talk before we even hit record on this and and converse about family stuff going on and, and trying to understand and relate to to what's going on in my personal life and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, he like I said in the 
at some point there in that interview about his flexibility. I mean, we, we had a time and this kind of goes back to the unpredictability of every day. Like we had a time Wednesday we were going to record, uh, wasn't a great day for us here in this house. So, um, wasn't going to be easy for me to do. And he was super accommodating to say, you know, what time does work? Like, can we do something on Thursday and, and worked us in. So appreciate Paul and, um, looking forward to hopefully connecting with him again on, on a future episode or something like that. But Check out his stuff on Twitter at Paul Daner Jr. And earlier, I also mentioned I was going to be teasing a bit. Um, well, I guess earlier I did tease it. Now I'm announcing it. Some giveaways that I want to do this offseason. And I'm still giving some thought to how I will handle each of these. Um, maybe they'll all follow the same format. Maybe they will not. But I have some pretty cool digital prints, high-res digital prints um, that I want to to give away this off season um, from, you know, some of the, of some of the biggest Bengals players, the the Joe Burrows and Jamar Chases and T Higgins of the world. Uh, so pretty excited about that. Um, if you are familiar on Twitter with. Bengals Bill, you've seen some of his work that he does, um, and he was gracious enough to I connected with him and kind of collab with me here. So I don't have the announcement here necessarily of the first giveaway, uh, although I would expect we'll be doing that here in the next few days to week. But all that to say, stay tuned to the the Twitter streets at underscore Taylor Cornell. That's where I'll be announcing how to get entered into these giveaways for um, some of these prints. So check that out. And uh, thank you for listening again. Appreciate it. I, I know uh, usually you you fall off the rotation. If um, podcast isn't staying updated, you replace it with something else. So don't blame me if you did. But if you're listening to this, I do appreciate you uh, checking back out uh, the, the Who Day Den. And we'll try to we'll try to get back sooner than within two months here um lining up some some other guests as well from well i don't want to spoil anything but some other guests as well we'll see whether this comes to fruition but until next time Bengals fans who day